0: Hi, I'm Michael and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film or a TV show. As today, we are talking about the two episode pilot of Lost, the TV show otherwise known as Questions, the TV show (laughs) created by J.J. Abrams, Jeffrey Lieber and Damon Lindelof, pilot directed by J.J. Abrams. Joined today by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bidner. Hello, hello. And Alex Coyotos. Hi. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get started, uh, our question for people listening on the Spotify app is, what TV show were you most obsessed with? Like, you watched it and it's entirely multiple times, perhaps, or just binged it over and over. Uh, let us know. Passions. Um, and... <laughs> Great. Yeah, I hope that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's Brian's answer. Yeah. Um, also, our patron exclusive episode for this month is, believe it or not, Starship Troopers. <laughs> uh, and that will be coming out either today or tomorrow. I don't know for sure because I'm in the past and you're in the present, but it's either going to happen. But yes, it'll be out uh, no later than the end of the month. So if you want to hear us talk about Starship Troopers, it was a fun episode.
1: Yeah, we had a blast. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: That will be uh, over on the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. Um, And a reminder for people thinking about joining the Patreon, we have fun perks like a monthly film club where each month we get on a Zoom call with listeners and chat about movies. Uh, Last month, we talked about West Side Story and the Oscars, and that was fun. And our movie for uh, May is Memento. So revisiting the, the Christopher Nolan well and the old school Christopher Nolan times. Um, Anyway, so that's what's going on over on the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. So now, Lost, the pilot episode's uh, two-parter of Lost. So why are we talking about Lost is uh, (laughs) perhaps a (laughs) question that people might have. Uh, And I feel like for people that might not know, uh, Lost kind of changed everything and was Mm -hmm. a huge television event unlike kind of anything that had done before the pilot i believe is still the most expensive tv pilot ever made and if you watch it you can see why it's the set pieces are huge it's big and loud and expensive um but also even going back to like the script bible and the way the screenplay is written like changed so much about like how we write screenplays and teleplays and all these things uh and yeah so there's just a lot to investigate and um yeah look back upon with lost and it's frightening that we're looking so far back i didn't realize until i saw the release date that this is an 18 year old TV Ooh. show, um, yep. wow. So I'm gonna have to reckon with that uh, at some point. <laughs> but yeah, so so to just quickly kind of share our relationships with Lost before we dive into the nitty gritty. Uh, I did not watch Lost the first couple seasons when it was on TV. I was one of those people that was like, everyone's freaking out about this. Like, I don't know, it's like a survivor like show, but it's like a it's narrative, like whatever. It looks dumb. I don't care. Uh, and then I decided with a friend to watch it on DVD uh, because that was back when like TV shows came out on DVDs. We didn't have streaming services back then. And so it was like, yeah, I'll, like fine, we'll watch it. And then became obsessed and binged all of it. I also re- remembered I could have been rewatching these episodes on uh, Apple TV because I bought these episodes on iTunes Whoa. because you used to buy TV episodes on iTunes for like wow. $2.99 an episode, um, which was weird. They were not good quality. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I think I binged the the three seasons and caught up for either season four or five live on TV and then like followed it that way. But it it's a show that like... If it gets you, it gets you hard. And it was, I think, maybe the first show that was that I binged for that reason, because it was available on DVD for me that was watching a little bit later so that I could. And I wanted to sit and watch 22 hours of this TV show Mm -hmm. back to back to back. Um, And then, of course, watched the rest of it live on, on air. And so really enjoyed it enjoyed the kind of sci-fi aspects of it and just this you know the mystery and the questions and wanting to know what happened totally like sucked me in and worked and we don't have to talk about the later seasons because we're here to talk about the pilot um but overall i was very much a lost fan and i think at least have seen it start to finish twice at this point so uh yeah am curious for you guys brian what's your relationship with lost
1: uh, yeah, I um, also didn't watch it right when it started. I actually didn't really watch a lot of TV back then. Um, and, and or if I did, it was like after a show was already done and on DVD and, you know, Rest of Development or Freaks and Geeks or it, But I basically wasn't really watching any live TV. Um, and then you know but of course people talked about lost my friend was a big fan it was probably around when the third season was out maybe or or second um that i just watched a random episode out of curiosity and that shows you i think i did this with both lost and the west wing it shows you how different tv was back then where you're just like i'll just watch an episode right as opposed we right. never uh-huh. do that now it's like no you start at the beginning and even if it takes you you know, even if, like people are like the first two seasons are rough, but in the third season it gets. You're like, okay, but I gotta watch it in that order. I can't just watch a random episode. Um, and uh, and I was curious. And then um I think you know, my friend had the the seasons on the DVD box set or whatever as you did, mm-hmm. and uh, lent it to me. And then I just I started watching it. And I, honestly, I never became a huge fan of the show, but uh i there were always questions i wanted answered so so it, you know it hooked <laughs> me as you said um so i uh yeah i ended up watching it and then got definitely got hooked into the like got to watch you know tonight's episode got to watch it as soon as possible go over to friends and watch together or watch it you know the next morning on you know abc.com or however you did it back then when you we could like watch the thing <laughs> the next morning well dvr sure but uh, um online uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, I am sort of, it's a bittersweet show for me, I think, because I, I, I liked it enough to watch it all. Um, but I also wouldn't consider myself really a, a big fan of the show. Um, and we can get into that a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, I think the pilot is very solid and I think a lot of the show is really solid. So let's do it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Trisha, what about
2: you? Yeah. Um, I definitely at the time was already a J.J. Abrams fan because I was a massive Alias fan. Mm. Um, And I was even a Felicity fan as well. And so, you know, when I heard that J.J. Abrams had a new show coming out, I was just fully on board. But it didn't take long before, you know, to me, Alias was a popular show. um, And it was a success for ABC. And so, you know, it's not like my love of Alias made me, like, in like some kind of niche or like some kind of cool person group where I was a fan of a show that nobody knew about or anything but I do think I was probably like it really quickly was like oh Lost is for everybody like it's everybody everybody like Alias is like if you like women-led spy shows then Alias is for you um but you didn't need to be any particular person in fact like that's the whole thing about Lost is that it's for everybody and literally everybody watched it um <laughs> my parents watched it <clears throat> that should tell you right there <laughs> just like mm-hmm. there are so few shows that my parents and i actually really both liked and watched and um but yeah it was just like massive event tv like nothing you'd ever seen like wednesday nights were last nights like everybody's sit Plunked right down in front of their television sets and that's what we're doing and like I remember I was in college and my roommates and I like that was what we would do and like we had friends come over it was just and then at the end you just were pulling your hair out it's like boom lost and you're like ah (laughs) what did (laughs) you just do um and you know even if even if it wasn't a crazy cliffhanger which you know nearly all of the episodes were and It's not like Lost was the first show to do that, but it's certainly one of the ones who have done it the best uh, with the cliffhanger endings. And even if it wasn't one of the craziest cliffhangers you've ever seen, it was still like, story threads are crazy right now. What will happen with Charlie? What will happen with the hatch? What's going on with the numbers? Are we going to find out? Also, it's like, you know, uh, each episode is kind of about a different character. So who's next week? We just saw a son and Jen episode. Is it Hurley next week? What's going to happen? Is it Charlie? What's going on? And like, you were never, <clears throat> you know, if, if the next week wasn't your favorite person, you were like, frustrated you're like no no i have to figure out what's wait to find out what's gonna happen to claire and mm-hmm. you're just you know eternally frustrated love triangles so many mm. like if that's <laughs> your thing it'll just like there's a million people to ship on this island and like and that was <laughs> yep. a lot of the reason that people watched yep. it it's to go with love who? oh show. my <laughs> gosh it's so many tessellation people. after tessellation <laughs> oh wow um yeah i love that i read a quote from a showrunner, I think it was in an interview at the time where it might've been since then, but he was like, one of the things we liked about the ensemble cast was the many, many love triangles we could create. And I was like, how dare you? But also (laughs) I will watch them. Um, Anyway, Lost is a show that I was a massive fan of at the time. I would say I'm still a fan. Um, I'm not such a fan that it didn't frustrate me um, as the series went along and, you know, Uh, was writing checks that definitely couldn't cash. And (laughs) I would say, you know, I kind of, I'm the kind of TV watcher that, that doesn't get my feelings hurt that easily. Like, so I I think that the engine of TV, there's something a little inherently disappointing about it to me anyway. And so I'm kind of expecting to be disappointed by nearly every TV show. And if you go (laughs) in with those expectations, you can just kind of get on the ride. And, uh, so for example, like I said, I'm a massive Alias fan. Uh, the last few seasons of Alias are trash and I don't watch them and I pretend they don't exist, but the first three se- seasons of Alias I've probably rewatched five times. I don't <laughs> know, something. Um, so that's, yeah, like I would, I would watch all of Lost, but I would especially watch the first few seasons at any point. I think they're insanely entertaining. Um, and as, you hinted at earlier, Michael, and I can't wait to get into, it's hard to overstate the impact they had on the TV industry um, and on screenwriting and sort of, uh, yeah, yeah, TV writing in general. So let's go.
0: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing, whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
3: Yeah, okay, cool. Alex? Yeah, Um. I think like you, Michael, I I, I think I started watching the third season live, but seasons one and two I saw probably on DVD. Um, and I think like my boyfriend at the time, that was like early college days. My boyfriend at the time, like watched a lot more TV than I ever had. Like I, I think- you know in like high school the only like real tv show i was into was 24 just because it was like this action serial um which also kind of is like part of this ernie this this ernie which is part of this early movement towards more serialized uh dramas mm-hmm. um because 24 was 100 percent just like this is an hour of like pure like momentum towards a cliffhanger that will not be resolved until next week um and and that was very new at the time it was like crazy it was like wow i I actually want to wait until the season of 24 is over to get to rent the dvd at blockbuster so i can binge the episodes because it's just too painful to wait week to week (laughs) watching it live and lost was kind of similar so it was painful watching the first two seasons in a binge format and then getting to season three which season three is kind of infamous for kind of the first half They like there was a budget problem or there was something Mm. where like they were just like Mm. in cement, like cages for a while with like half the cast was gone. (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah. Mm Yeah. And it was just
3: like that was like weird to like get so much like like like, satisfaction packed into like two seasons all at once to them, like slow drip drip of nothing happening in season three. Anyway, so uh, but I mean, watching those first two seasons did make me a massive fan because like I The J.J. Abrams mystery box just got me so hard, and it was pointing to so many fun uh, philosophical ideas and sci-fi ideas and, like, raising so much promise of, like, what could the answers be? What is the secret behind all of this? At the same time, having a great cast of characters that I actually did care about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it wasn't just the mystery box driving me. I did actually enjoy learning their backstories and and seeing their secrets come out via the flashbacks. So there is so much working that I I yeah I mean the problem with a show that is is this good for this long is that the expectations and the hopes of people like me and the fans just get to a point where there's no way you can possibly end in, in yeah. any way that will satisfy everybody, especially if you haven't figured every element of that ending out in advance, which, you know, this is back when we didn't think of TV shows as having beginning beginnings and ends. It was like you pitch a pilot and maybe your show goes on for 12 seasons. So it, it, it's really it's really straddling this moment where we weren't yet in a world where it was like normal to think of your t- TV show as like having an ending and building toward that ending. And yet it was attempting kind of exactly that in in a world in which that just wasn't done. So hugely ambitious. And I agree, it really changed changed so much and opened up the possibilities for me of like, oh, wait a minute. I always thought about movies being this top dog. I want to work in movies. I want to be a film director. Shows like Lost made me reconsider that where I realized, wait, this long form storytelling is in some ways surpassing my interest in a certain type of uh, filmmaking where it's like, wow, the stories you can tell in this medium, if they can get this kind of budget and this kind of cast, like this is almost more exciting in some ways. So it it was also a revelation for me as just like an aspiring filmmaker of wait a minute, what about TV? I didn't even consider TV, like somewhere I'd want to go. But this is kind of changing my mind about that. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, as we know today, now, you know, the lines are all blurred. And yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's it's a whole new ballgame.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was making notes about the um, about sort of the difference of TV now and uh, then or pre then and now, which is, as you said, Alex, like for a long time for for decades it was just create a world and some characters and then figure out week to week what kind of shenanigans they're getting up to right and the sitcom the procedural were especially the big examples of this where it was like there was either no through line at all or the through line was just sort of there but it didn't really matter from episode to episode and then now it feels like the opposite. It feels like, you know, some of the the Marvel and Star Wars shows are being criticized for being like, they basically are just movies. Why didn't you just make a movie? Um, but then even the longer running shows feel like they are, you know, the Breaking Bad pitch was we're going to take Mr. Chips and turn him into Scarface. Like, this character will change, things will happen. Like that was built into the pitch of a show, which it wouldn't have been before. And then in the mid aughts, you have this weird sort of time with Lost and Battlestar Galactica and The Wire and The Sopranos, where groundbreaking television that shaped basically what we think of as a television today and probably for, for years to come, but which sort of were somewhere in the middle which was sort of going like we are telling a long story and things are going to happen and, th- and like, you know, main characters will die or leave the show, whatever. But we haven't really figured everything out. You know, every once in a while you hear like a season ends with someone knocking at the door and then the writers say, oh yeah, we had no idea who was behind the door until we got together to write the next season. I'm like, what? Like you didn't you didn't yeah. know what your show <laughs> was yet? And mm-hmm. uh, And, you know, Lost is an interesting example of, there are these things that are set up in early, um, you know, even in the pilot, which are absolutely planned to come out later. You know, it's so cool to watch things like, um, uh, someone come by and say, "Excuse me." In the first episode, and then in the second episode, you, it's Charlie's story, and you see him do it. like that's always really fun to see. Like, oh, you thought this ahead, you know, put it there, and we noticed it, and then you notice it here, and then there are other things where they clearly were just kind of making it up as as they went along, and you know, it's it's just very fascinating to see where Lost falls in this kind of this changing of the guard of what TV uh, has been and is now.
2: Well, and one of the things that I think is sort of notable about Lost on a meta level is kind of what you're hinting at here, Bri, with people's expectations. Mm. Like, there was not necessarily an expectation that the writers knew every single thing that was going to happen, but because of the nature of the show, that was kind of like Lost was really one of the first shows because of where the internet was and because of where social media was, that the fan base started, like, analyzing the show. And the breadcrumbs about the mystery were so, felt so deliberate and they felt so, like, we have a plan for everything. Like, Locke is here talking about Beckham and he's like, there's a light (laughs) side and a dark side. And, like, the choices that were made about some of the motifs and ideas and the sort of, like, big philosophical underpinnings of what the show was felt like surely there was a plan and the internet existed just enough where fans of it who were everybody could find each other and just start going wild about what they thought was going on. And like fandom up until that time was kind of like either relegated, like crazy fandom was relegated to like movies. So it was like Star Wars fandoms were a thing and things like that. There were message boards and, you know, kind of websites where you could congregate and whatever um, and sort of start finding each other on some early kinds of social media. But this was really where TV became like, here we have fan sites for Lost and you can read everybody's theory about what the numbers mean. And it's all going to feed into each other. And I shouldn't... It's, like, also pretty important to remember that the series creators were encouraging that. And they would, like, do interviews where they were like, oh, I read the fan theory about this, but that's not what it is. And they were kind of interacting with fan theories in a way that, again kind of makes me mad now because it's like you didn't know and you were just denying fan theories that you later kind of stole or mm-hmm. like affirmed later um but it was it was part of the whole mythos of the show was maybe you can figure it out maybe the clues are there and like eagle-eyed mm-hmm. viewers who really talk to each other and like kind of puzzle it right it was a puzzle show and it, a puzzle show kind of promises that there's a way to solve it and when it hits smack in the middle of the rise of social media, what you get is this feeding frenzy. And that's kind of what Lost became.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, with the the other technology, like I mentioned, like TV shows were available to rewatch at will in a way that they weren't just a couple years earlier. And Mm -hmm. so like, you know, you could other shows you could catch a rerun and tape it maybe. And But like, this is like, oh wait, what did they say in that one scene from that one episode? Mm-hmm. Let me pull out that DVD and I will rewatch it. And now I have, you've written down in ink what you promised. And I have that in the back of my head. Uh, and that, that, yeah, just added to the, the fervor. And, you know, you could stoke fires with that, but also as you eloquently said earlier, Writing checks that you cannot cash at the end of that. And it, it yeah, it, it's also interesting to the the script Bible for Lost is famous. And if you haven't looked at it, you should. It's on the internet. You can find it. Um, but it, there's so many aspects to it that are really fascinating. But one of them that I was struck by, especially, uh, you know, knowing where TV is now for all these reasons that we're saying, we're like TV is trying to be, like, more filmic and cinematic and, like, get away from, like, the old idea of what a TV show was, which largely was workplace drama. Like, a TV show is a workplace drama, and the Bible uh, of Lost, like, specifically tries to assuage any fears that an executive might have of, like, but wait a minute, this isn't a workplace drama. Like, how are we going to do this? And the Bible literally has paragraphs that are like, no, 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 no. Don't worry. Yes, we're going to have reusable sets. After a couple days on the beach, they're going to move into the caves. The caves will be our like workplace drama. And like, (laughs) look at all these different permutations. We can, people can drop in and watch an episode, not have to know anything about what happened before. And just (laughs) like all these things. So it, it is, it's so at that, that the beginning of that turning point where it, was trying to broadcast that it was gonna be the old thing, it's okay, but found success in this kind of new thing that it was trying to do and then doubled down on it.
2: The exec who greenlit it got fired like <laughs> prior to it actually coming out because he had greenlit such an expensive and risky show that was, you know, essentially a sci fi fantasy show. That was, like, a major genre, like, like, storytelling. shot
0: entirely on location. Like, all the all things. All in like Hawaii. Like just the so reason much. you do a workplace drama, there's so many reasons. Part of it is, again, literally a set. You build one set, and then you write a million stories that can happen in the set. And so, and you do it in inside, in a controlled environment. Right. But doing it, every scene is outside, on the beach, in Hawaii, 22 up. Like, that's... Just, it's so expensive and absurd and could never have happened were it not for this weird perfect scenario that created this lost pilot that blew up and sucked everyone in and week to week was much like a jet profitable.
2: engine on the beach
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> indeed well yeah i mean speaking of the pilot uh it was really fun to revisit it i'm glad we chose to do this because man those opening moments of the Ooh. pilot are just masterful like right off the bat opening with this image of incongruity where you got the man in the suit with a golden retriever in the bamboo it just immediately it, there's so much happening just in those first images of this is a show that is going to confront you confront you with incongruous images and raise questions and it's and it's going to just make you feel almost uncomfortable in like these two things don't go together. Like so much of of the show is that, is this doesn't belong here. Like this weird, I don't know, pigeon experiment for humans in the cement (laughs) area. Like, why is this here on this island? Why is this polar bear here? So first you start off with that amazing, just, you know, iconic image of Jack in the bamboo with the dog. And then you go out to this beautiful tropical beach and it just seems like he's in this beautiful place and it's kind of pristine And you go around the corner and it's just the most insane opening to any Mm -hmm. TV show I've ever seen. Just just how hard J.J. Abrams directs that sequence and just how intense it is, is just like nothing you would expect from an ABC drama pilot. Right. (laughs) At the time, especially.
1: I I was also looking at the like. There's, um, there's like the structure of it um, where it's you open on Jack, as you were saying, Alex, he's in a suit, but he's in, you know, in the jungle. Where is he? He's busted up. So it's like already, as you said, these incongruous images. And then we start raising some questions. We have a dog. We have a mini bar bottle. So like maybe that's a clue of what's going on Then we have a shoe in a tree. So what what does that right. mean? What's going on? And then, like, I would say this is probably the midpoint of this little opening sequence. Now we walk out on the beach and we start to get things, but they're, it's sort of slow. We hear a scream. And then as we start to actually see the people and the wreckage, we're very close on everything. So, you know, we're sort of, I guess, you know, right. to be in Jack's headspace, it's like you're not really getting the big picture. You're getting like, oh, there's this. So you're mentally you're going it looks like a plane crash but you're not really seeing things in full yet. You're seeing this person screaming, this thing happening. Okay, there's, that looks like a wing or a propeller, something, you know, um, propeller yeah um but then finally you get this wide shot where you see the plane you see like several victims at once but that takes a good probably three to four minutes to actually get to that and that's sort of the the, the mystery box you know kind of thing in microcosm which is yes. question 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 answer yeah. answer 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 um and you know <laughs> The show in macro became question, 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 answer. Um, but like that opening, it just does this like beautiful, like create a series of images, ask a bunch of questions and then answer them by the end of four minutes. All the questions you've had are pretty much answered and you're ready to go into whatever the next thing is.
0: And all of that is in the script, which is mm. what's mm-hmm. not about nuts about the script is that it's just like. Yeah, like shot selection, like extreme close-up. You're only seeing his eye, like very purposefully describing like all the clues. We pull back a little bit, slightly wider, Wrestling sound. Here's a white Labrador, reverse. Like it's an odd tableau, man and dog looking at each other, both entirely out of place. Like it calls out all of that specifically, like the long take that starts facing one way and then we rotate 180 degrees and oh my God, it's a plane crash on a beach. Like all of that is in the screenplay and the screenplay is written so that you feel that viscerally every sentence multiple times and it's the screenplay feels like it's punching you in the face constantly with just the, the the momentum of what you're experiencing sonically and visually and all the tools that will eventually end up on screen are described in detail in the screenplay.
1: I think you want to read us some of the screenplay.
0: I mean, I can't, I don't know where to start. It's just like, (laughs) there's the, I mean, yeah. So the, the reveal of the plane crash is so in the same shot and I'll try, it's hard to convey. We were talking about this before we started like recording because like half of this is in all caps and there are dash dashes and dot dots, but like, so yeah, in the same shot pan as he moves 180 degrees until we're behind him looking out on something absolutely horrific only 20 yards away a plane crash on the beach 777 passenger airliner 250 seater the middle section of the fuselage plowed into the sand one wing sticking straight up towering seven stories into the sky sporadic sparks bursting from the inverted engine showering down on the absolute mayhem on the sand and it's just like it keeps go like scattered <laughs> fires and wreckage dozens of people running about some injured some not they're helping each other screaming sound enormous jet like you just look at the paragraph <laughs> and it's just like yes. sounds and like visceral images and there's no the sentences are they sentences or is it just <laughs> a string of Exclamations! Uh, yeah. Okay. Exclama- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, my and my it, popcorn's ready, yeah. but
1: I want to I want to continue. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and this is why I always recommend to young screenwriters that they read this pilot. Like mm-hmm. you absolutely must read this pilot. I mean, read any JJ script because JJ's style and the way that he conveys, especially action sequences, but really just emotion and sort of directorial energy, I want to say, and rhythm on the page is the way that modern screenwriters write. And JJ was really the pioneer of this kind of writing where it does break a lot of the traditional rules of screenwriting. Like as Michael just mentioned, it's full of all caps. It's full of like really evocative, but just like Automatopoeia, basically where he's just <laughs> trying to like write out the sound that a jet engine makes or whatever, like a plane wing as it's cracking and falling onto the sand. He like tries to write out that sound and um yeah, dashes at the ends of action lines and the way that he conveys because some of it is traditionally sort of directorial, of like medium close up of this, we pan around, we see that. But then a lot of it just conveys the emotion that you're gonna see on the actor's face. Um,
1: you should read and- the sex scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Every sound. <laughs> no, stop it! Don't listen to Brian.
2: Um, but you know. This was not the way that screenwriting used to be done. There have been a few different writers that have put like signposts in the sand about this is what it is to write for a reader to create the scene vividly in the reader's imagination um, and in a way that is exciting And, like, one thing Michael has not mentioned, and part of the reason he probably has not read more, is because J.J.'s screenplays are full of profanity. (laughs) Like, there is so much. But it's, it's, again, it's conveying, like, oh, my God, this thing is happening. And it's, you know, usually in all caps, and it usually has multiple F-words in it. But it's conveying the emotion of like what it is to be on the ride of this scene which in in the case of the the plane crash on the beach is sheer chaos and we're just sort of following jack but even the way that jack behaves in that scene which you know we could unpack is so frenetic and like so panicky and hard to follow but just incredibly exciting and so what a way to open a show and it's all on the page, like every single bit of that tension and the heightened emotion and the panic of it is just on the page. Yeah.
3: And speaking of that scene in microcosm, you know, or how this opening is kind of the show in microcosm. I think it also functions that way to introduce Jack's role in microcosm. You know, he is immediately the one feeling responsible for everybody and the people he's feeling responsible for are very clear archetypes. You know, we, we have like, like the mother, almost like the innocent, you know, the, the pregnant woman. We have like the pretty boy who's kind of dumb, <laughs> who's like trying to help him, dumb but not him. really helping. Yeah, uh, yeah you, you got you got like a bad boy, you know, scoundrel smoking. Is that I don't know if he's smoking in that first scene. I think he is. Maybe it's in the aftermath of the chaos, uh, Sawyer.
2: Yeah. But, yeah. but you,
3: we just see so many archetypes right off the bat uh, that just scream to us like, okay, that's that type of character that type of character and in the center of all of them the person trying to hold them all together is jack and it just yeah it's just amazing to look back on it after seeing the rest of the series and just realize how much work this these first moments are doing to establish these roles and jack's kind of yeah cent, central place in this array of archetypes yeah well and that like the design
0: of the care i mean like there's such archetypes to the point that like it's annoying in some like sure. in, in that JJ way of like I, I also this time around was like oh pregnancy during a crazy opening again where did we see that uh-huh. hmm. just shortly after Star Trek, uh, but yeah just like the the design of this web is also its archetypes that are also perfectly uh, would be the last people that should be on a. stranded on an island right and like, very like obvious like there's a pregnant woman she's gonna have to have a baby at some point like that's stress there is uh yeah just all all the like of course there's a criminal on here then there's a gun and like all these things that are designed to make the situation as worse as possible and as filled with drama as possible and either it comes out clearly in these episodes, you know, like where Charlie's there. It's a he's a drug addict and he needs drugs. He's gonna run out of drugs one day. So like it's uh-huh. setting, it's beginning to, you know, lay the foundation of like this drama that will come. So you're seeing that happen either here or it's like laying the further foundation. What's what's always been fascinating to me is that I remember the lock episode as being part of the mm-hmm. pilot, because mm. I think that's actually where, if you haven't watched it, there's, uh, I think episode it's three,
2: episode four,
0: is it four? It's okay. Called
2: walkabout, yeah,
0: right, where you <laughs> you get the lock flashback and understand what he's doing here, and that's when the, the really starts to lean into like there is some kind of weird magic happening yeah. <laughs> on this right. island, um, but like something weird with lock is set up in these episodes. He has a weird orange moment. And as you (laughs) pointed out, Trisha, the like, you know, the backgammon thing. So like it's laying, it's planting the seeds for further things and already tipping its hat at like, these things are gonna, these are all bombs that are going to go off soon. Keep watching.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that's a cool thing. The show is doing almost all the time is like, on a smaller scale, you do just care about what the characters are doing and what's going to, ha- you know, love triangle kind of questions or whatever, uh, or like a character has a secret or whatever. Um, and then on a, on a large scale, you're like, what the hell is going on? Right. <laughs> you know, like like what what is going on? So in this uh, in these two episodes, we get. Again, we get these questions, some of which get answered. So it's this constant kind of, uh, you know, um, yarn in front of a cat kind of thing where like Kate has something going on. Who was in handcuffs? What was Charlie doing in the bathroom? All of which get answered in the first two episodes. So you do get some question and answer. So it's not just I'm confused by all these questions. It's like, oh, no, I got. Uh, one episode later, I got that answer. Right. And then you have things like, um, you know, Locke saying Wh- whatever's going on with Locke. Do you want to hear a secret? Right. Uh, Sawyer is reading a letter. We don't really know what's going on with that mm-hmm. yet. Uh, and then we get the bigger there's a polar bear there's a there's a thing in the jungle that's like taking pilots and trees and whatever um and of course those are like the big big like holy crap like yeah i care about these characters but what on earth is going on in this whole island and and of course that again becomes what the entire show is and i realized both episodes of the pilot end with a question so it's almost like you know, it's like the Dan Brown novel of of TV series, right? Where you're yeah, just like, totally. where you're just like, you gave me a little thing, I got to do the next one. Um, so the first ends with them seeing uh, uh, Mr. Greg Grunberg in the tree, and it, I you love know. Greg
2: Grundberg. <laughs> so and glad to see him in this.
1: JJ's bestie, I know. Um, and the question is, how does something like that happen? Uh, and I think I don't remember the exact words. Basically, like, like what happened? You know, and then. Charlie the,
2: gets both questions.
1: He gets both questions. Right. How does that right. happen? Right. Is, I
2: think, the first one. And then, and guys, then where the, are we?
1: Right. The big question at the end of episode two slash the second half of the pilot. Where are we? Uh, so, yeah, it's just it's doing, as you're saying, Michael, it's a lot of. We're going to show you where there could be conflict, like we have established there is a gun or something like that. That's not really a question, but that is sort of a a, a little threat, a little seed that is planted to say this could turn into anything later. Um, but then we have the big questions that we are asking, whether on a character standpoint or on just a macro, what the hell is going on here standpoint.
2: I think... What what rewatching the pilot, and I, I tried to rewatch most of the first season as well in preparation for this podcast. But what it really reminded me is that although now of course we think of this as like a sci-fi fantasy show, it really is, especially in its first season, a character drama. Mm-hmm. And as you guys are pointing out, what it does wisely in the pilot, when it doesn't have time to dive into every single one of these characters in depth and detail, is Take an archetype, utilize it in a way that is helpful shorthand. Here's like a, you know, asshole redneck dude who's here to antagonize everybody and call them offensive names. That's a guy we know and have seen before. (laughs) But it, as you're saying, Brian, it, it layers in tiny moments of dimensionality Mm -hmm. for him where we see him reading this letter and it seems like he might cry. And then he decides to go on a walk With everybody for like why unclear reasons, which again raises questions with some of the more central characters where some of those like uh, more um, anti-hero kinds of traits are actually brought to light, right? Where we find out that Kate was the prisoner, we find out that Charlie's a drug addict and some of these other things. When, even when those things are there, the dimensionality is still brought in with some nuance and some care. So one of the things that I noticed this time around about um, Jack is on the beach, he's trying to revive Rose and he's just trying to get Boone away from him. Right. Where he's like, get away from me. You're like ruining, you know, you're just in the way basically. And so Boone's like, should we do that thing with a pen? And Jack just goes, yeah, that's a good idea. Go get me a pen. Mm -hmm. And is basically just like, get the hell out of here. But then later, Boone comes back with, like, six pens, right, after, like, most of the crisis has subsided. And he's like, I didn't know which one would be best. And Jack is, like, just takes a kind moment and was like, thanks. They're all great. And just takes all the pens that he does not need. Um, And he didn't need to do that, right? Like, it would have just been easy for that character to be like, get out of here, you know, like, or just discard this person um, who was getting in his way earlier in a rude fashion. But Jack is not rude, right? Jack is kind. That's his default nature. He, in fact, is too kind and takes on too much responsibility, which is, again, the most, for me, the most beautiful and memorable scene in the pilot is right after that. When finally he steps into the trees by himself and we see that he has a gash in his back. He's done Mm. all of this with a gash in his back that he can't sew up by himself. And so then he like talks Kate through doing it in a way that is so kind and patient. Right. Again, he's just like, hey, you know, have you ever used a needle? You know, and he's like, No, you definitely can do this. You can definitely do this. And just keeps encouraging her and talking her through it. And again, being kind and encouraging to her. And it creates this like, he is, you know, this dimensionality to a doctor character, right? He is brisk, efficient. He will do whatever he needs to get done. Like, once he revives Rose, he immediately runs in the other direction. He's like, Okay, you're okay. Deep breaths. Bye. And like, runs in the other direction. And There are plenty of times that he, you know, goes off at people and loses his patience. So he is not, it's not that he's not a person. It's that we see what his core characteristics are. And the work of this TV pilot with all of the characters that we're designed to care about the most, with Jack, with Kate, um, with, in this case, Charlie gets a lot of attention in the pilot episode, um, pilot pilot, couple of episodes, even with people like Locke and Sawyer, who are eventually going to become big parts of the of the series. The work of the pilot is to fill them out, sketch them quickly so they're instantly distinguishable, but then fill them out with dimensionality and life and make us care about who they are. And their core characteristics need to be not necessarily virtuous, but relatable. And I think that's the thing about all of these characters.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a an idea of the characteristic first moment. You know, what is the first right. moment right. you introduce a character? Like what, like how are they introduced to you? I mean, Sawyer, we really get to know. Coming in in the middle of a fight where he's trying to punch Saeed for yeah. you know being being brown basically mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 that's a great characteristic first moment for Sawyer like we immediately like you said Trisha know that guy and and this pilot is full of those moments where I mean, Shannon on the beach doing her nails even as like wreckage lies around her is a very the clear character moment mm-hmm. um, and man thinking about uh, Jack and Matthew Fox I think like what great casting I think yeah. Matthew Fox somehow like is this perfect energy for jack like I, I i can't really think of anybody else who i could put in his place and i don't i don't know what it is but watching the pilot again i'm like man like yeah, nobody else could have been this role i don't think there's something about matthew fox and just there's, there's a bit of a sadness in him but this this yeah. kind of i don't know this like puppy dog thing going on uh but something he also ended. has like but he has like a strength and kind of like you can also believe and look at him like oh you could be a leader you can be like a strong center you know you're not like you're not like a wounded in like a weak way yeah. you're wounded in kind of a strong way um, yeah. and and man that I was watching it again realizing how intense I remember there was the story about like the spinal surgery uh, like was a thing in the pilot but like listening to it again I'm like that is a really intense vivid story and it it kind of struck me for like a I don't know ABC uh drama pilot just like just getting really kind of intense and deep with the character really fast you know just him recounting what if i was him would be like the most horrifying moment of my life is a really like i don't know just just diving right into like the depths of his character very early in the pilot and like who is this guy he's a guy who has faced this kind of (laughs) trauma like I, i might have just paralyzed a girl and i had to just deal with that and and Keep going. And that's a great characteristic first moment right there, too. Just just showing a backstory uh moment for a character that is like, he's done this before. He's faced the worst terror that any of us could imagine. And he's learned like a defense mechanism or or a way to essentially just work through it. He's maybe the only person here who has that kind of mental ability or training. He's gonna be the one that can like keep it together while everybody else is losing their minds and doing their archetype things
2: well and just talking about the casting I remember reading that a lot of the characters were written either for the actors that specifically they already knew they wanted to cast like Locke was written for Terry O'Quinn and I think mm. the same thing with Michael who was written for Harold, Harold Perrineau and but then other characters were created because they saw people in the audition that they loved but didn't have a character for them. So like Jorge mm. Garcia who plays Hurley, they didn't have a character for him but they were like we got to put him in this. Um and so they wrote the character of Hurley and thank god, right? Because now yeah, we have Hurley. The heart um of the I think show. they said that Dominic Monahan read for Sawyer um or I don't remember <laughs> who he read for. Um and they also loved him, but they were like, not right for that, but let's, you know, rework one of the characters we already have and kind of make it, you know, work for this. And I think, you know, you don't always have that luxury when you're writing a TV pilot in a vacuum, and in fact, you almost never do. But back in the day when people used to develop shows, um, like, people still develop shows, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> not in quite the same way, but they they do still develop shows, but... Um, you know, it's really smart that they were open to listen, if we're going to have an ensemble, let's be open about who the supporting characters are going to be, right? They kind of knew that they had a Jack and a Kate and, uh, you know, Michael and Locke and some of those people. But then let's keep open minds about who can like fill out the supporting cast. And I think, I think it was, they said, I think I read too that Daniel Day Kim, um, was a late addition and the the storyline with him and son, which I think is, is really smart. Yeah. Yeah. All of this stuff is like casting, do, do good casting <laughs> and also let your casting shape your character design.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, yeah. Why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take from the Lost pilot Um, we've already grabbed several good ones, but so Brian, what's your, what's your lesson from Lost?
1: Yeah. Trisha just touched on a little bit about the dimensionality of the characters. Um, and I was thinking about Shannon while watching this, you know, it's always interesting to watch, um, go back and watch the early episodes of a show once, you know, the whole show. Right. Um, and I think during our CODA episode, Trisha, you were talking about don't judge your characters. Like when, when you are writing a character, don't judge mm-hmm. them. They don't have to be perfect. Um, and then, you know, so with with these characters in the pilot, they all have these sort of pretty clear flaws or not all, but a lot of them. Right. So it's like Kate's a criminal. Sawyer is just a jerk. Um, Shannon is just kind of the spoiled brat. And you could easily just be like yep that's who that character is and maybe if we're lucky in season three we'll actually get some dimensionality out of them or something um and but it also it just gives those characters so far to go and i think that that shannon is such a cool i keep thinking of like what this pilot is doing in microcosm that the show does as a whole which i've mentioned multiple times in this episode um and Shannon is such a great example of that because she is like the most spoiled, the most kind of bratty of everyone um especially because we don't meet Sawyer right away. We don't really get to know him until a good like I don't know halfway into the the first episode maybe or or more. Um but then she talks about the guy who, you know, didn't give him the first class seats and basically saved uh, saved their lives and then she makes the choice to go on the hike with everybody. She's like, "Okay, I will actually help." And it's just this little and that doesn't mean She can't still be spoiled in later episodes. It doesn't mean she's like she she's three dimensional, right? She can be this and also that. But it's such a great little example of, oh, yeah, these characters are going to change. These characters are going to learn and we are going to love them and feel sympathy for them because we understand where they're coming from. They're not just being these two dimensional things. Um, And it made me think about actually uh, Sansa in the Game of Thrones books and, and in the show as well. But especially in the books, it was like. Each chapter of those books is from a certain character's uh, viewpoint and you generally love the characters that get the viewpoint. But Sansa is like, wait, why? Why am I reading a Sansa chapter now? And I don't care about her. I don't like her. You know, I like Arya. I want to go. But then because you spend time with her as similar character as sort of the spoiled character. Then you you start to learn where she's coming from and what her ideology is and you feel more sympathy for her. And then when she goes through what she goes through in those books and, and the show, again, it's such a far way to go and you feel so much more invested. They become such a more interesting character because you let them you let them come from this place that you maybe wouldn't want your perfect character to be you know you'd be like oh, this guy like jack right jack's likable he's great and then the show in later seasons maybe will say like well what if we did this question mark but someone like shannon uh or sansa and get game of thrones books like no let's just show you right away you don't like them and then pull you out of that right and then mm. start to like create this dimensionality so i just think it's a i think lost did that with a lot of its characters but shannon is the first very clear example of that yeah yeah
0: it's also JJ manages this not really related, but thinking about the, like the moments of like Shannon on the beach, JJ manages to uh, kind of like artistically justify his objectification of people uh-huh. in a way that I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's a neat trick that I guess you pulled
1: off. Question Are you mark? talking about
2: Kate like washing her hair in the ocean?
1: Right. That's the other moment. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. like,
2: sure.
1: <laughs> right. And Jack took kind of the shirt off. I mean, yeah, I mean yeah. get it yeah, yeah.
3: I'm here for some
0: of right. that. Yeah. But yeah. it's always like somebody <laughs> else is watching them. And it, it's technically kind of like a character moment. Cause like Shannon, when she's like in her bikini, like does the shower, pants past her. But then it cuts to Emil DeRay, what Claire's character Emily and she's, then, yeah, Right. Like thinking about like, oh, I used to. Anyway, it was just funny. Like, Watching, you know, all of that play out at narratively
3: motivated skin, right? We have to find
0: (laughs) some way to get this in here. So, let's if we kind of (laughs) justify it, I don't have to be
2: that creative to like get it right.
3: People are gonna get naked, yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, yeah, awesome, cool. Alex, what's your lesson? Um, I was really struck this time, uh, watching it uh remembering the beautiful moment where Jin is going around with the like sea urchin Mm. meat and and nobody wants it and it's just like oh this is gross uh but then he gets to claire and and there's a whole it's a really like just kind of slice of life scene it's almost like a one long take where she keeps rejecting it and like i don't want to but i'm gonna be polite i'm gonna have it and then it culminates with you know the magic sea urchin meat uh kind of makes her baby kick and and shows that her baby is still alive. And it's just this beautiful, simple, sweet moment where, you know, Jin's excited, she's excited. And I think it's really important to have moments like that in this pilot because that is also what the show is going to be. It's going to be yeah. about a community forming and people just kind of having connections they never would have had in their past lives that are going to form on this island. And I just think it's a good reminder that in a In a story that's otherwise very intense or full of drama and violence and, you know, these horrifying plane flashbacks that are like so intense, it's wonderful to have like the palate cleanser of like an up moment where two people are just like happy about something in a very genuine way. And so it was very smart for this episode to make sure that was in there as well, because that is what the
1: show also is and why we love these characters. ultimately. And it's doing the dimensionality thing we were just talking about, right? Where it's like you present Jin as this very two dimensional character. Right. It's like you can't do this, and we don't want to trust them, and we don't want to whatever. And then you get this moment where it's like, oh no, he is absolutely a, a, a human, and we're we are going to love him eventually.
2: Yeah. yeah, it was hard to remember that I was going to love Jin eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <right>.
2: <laughs> he's yeah. really the worst in the first few <laughs> right. episodes.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, and that you know, the pen moment that you talked about earlier, Tricia, I feel like he's doing mm-hmm. that also right. where it's, it's heart and it's and there's humor like somehow yeah. in in mm-hmm. amidst all of this. And they like take care to like make those as important beats as everything else. And I think that goes a long way to exactly what you were saying, Alex. Yeah. Tricia, it's your lesson.
2: So when we were doing our Star Trek episode, we were talking about how JJ shoots action things. And also shoots things that are not action like they are action. Um, I was really struck by the closing scene of the second part of this pilot, which is five characters standing around listening to a walkie-talkie. And it's the most intense action-y <laughs> thing you've ever seen in your life. And I was looking at the the construction of the writing in that scene, and it's so smart. Like, So obviously the way that it's directed, the camera is like, Circling around them and like zo- pushing in on people and like cutting, cutting. It's really, you know, kinetic, but there's so much conflict happening in this group of people who are literally just standing on a hillside listening to a walkie-talkie, right? Everyone's like, Shannon, you speak French. She's like, I do not speak French. They're like, would you please just try and listen to this? I've heard you speak French. So there's one argument happening over here. Meanwhile, Said and Kate are trying to figure out what the, what the sequence of numbers means. Then Said starts doing math really quickly. And meanwhile, the battery is dying. So there's this ticking clock and like everyone's freaking out and panicking. And it is a brilliant piece of writing for the cliffhanger at the end of this, right? It's not a big, and it's another, it's not another big encounter with the smoke monster. And like, once you've had that plane crash at the beginning, you can't go bigger, right? You can't go like big set piece or, or I guess maybe you could, but it's super smart to just be like, we are going to give you some devastating information. And the scene in which we are going to give it to you is also going to feel insanely intense it's highlighting all of the interpersonal conflict there's this really really short ticking clock that makes it feel like a bomb is going to explode and meanwhile the characters are like doing math and translating french and it's (laughs) just jam-packed with yeah like high tension and it feels like high stakes like what if they don't translate it before the battery dies it's so good like it's what jj does like really really well right? Where characters are zooming in with information at the last minute. And meanwhile, other things are happening. And meanwhile, people are having character moments and character conflict and all of this stuff. Um, it's great. Yeah. The image of Shannon just like kind of crying with the thing pressed to her ear while she's like listening and being like, it killed them. It killed them all. And then Saeed is like 16 years <laughs> and everyone's like, what? Like, it's so good. what a good, I don't know. I could, I feel like you could break it apart even more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is just that the stakes are their stakes, right? It's not just the stakes of what happened to this person. It's whatever happened to this person is, you know, potentially what's going to happen to us. And that, that makes the stakes feel, feel huge. Yeah. And it's like
0: potentially the first big answer, right? It's the first voice that they've heard from, you know, someone not on, on the island or not crashed and yeah. So that I was also noticing that sequence has always like stood out to me, but it it announced itself more overtly to me this time because it's the shot that kicks it off is like right before like Saeed is calling to someone. It's like, you know, I got the signal. And then Saeed like turns around 180 degrees. Not for any reason. He doesn't need to be facing <laughs> one way or the other to look at his walkie talkie. But like it's a big dramatic movement that then lets us cut to a shot where now we see someone running down the hill behind him to get the sight, and we can start the like dulling around that you're talking about. And just like yeah, it's it's such like melodramatic, kinetic, insane uh, <laughs> writing and filmmaking, and it's great. And that's what like lost is. It's so what JJ good does
2: so well.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: What's your lesson, Michael?
0: Yeah, it, <clears throat> I revisiting this was a really interesting kind of walk down like form memory lane <laughs> because we were talking about how film, you know, film and TV and everything has evolved so much and we don't have TV shows like this anymore like as much where the goal of the show as we hinted at earlier is like to create an engine for drama and entertainment week after week ideally for infinity right like and this show is just, it's like the pinnacle of a great engine for endless drama, where you have just a very visceral, primal situation, right? Survival. You've crash landed on a desert island. How are you going to survive? Like, eat, drink, like all these base primal things. You have character drama that is, you know, a big ensemble cast where there's infinite Combinations of conflicts and love triangles, as we've talked about, but also uh, an added three-dimensionality that we were just talking about that I think is also um, enforced by the mechanism of flashbacks. Because in this show, we're also going to get flashbacks where we're going to learn more about the people and why they came here. And that's going to inform so much of this and so they have to be interesting because they're gonna hold entire episodes. Sometimes
3: they have to have so many secrets, right? You know? yeah. They have to have so many secrets because that's what's gonna be uncovered in the mm-hmm. flashbacks, right? And then yeah,
0: and no, then it's t- just
2: like I don't know. I felt like a trip to LA.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right.
2: is normal. Here's my normal family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I'm on vacation. I'm going to Disneyland.
0: Yeah, all those people <laughs> are in the background are dead. We don't need them. <laughs> um, but and then you have yeah, this insane. Uh, like clown car of a mystery box where you can just, right. <laughs> you, it starts like focused enough that you have all the questions that you need for a season. But then a season two can be like, we found a hatch. What's inside the hatch? right? Or like, or I guess that's part of the season. But like that simple question of like, there's a door we can't open sustains so many episodes of drama. And then you get to open the door and what's inside the door? More questions like, so you can be, operating Lost is at its best i think when it's operating on all three of these levels where it's the survival meets the characters meets the flashback meets the mystery box are all kind of coming together but you can uh offload weight to each of those as needed to generate 22 episodes of a television show a year which yeah. is crazy to think about yeah, right. at this point <laughs> and it's just so impressive and it almost made me like oh, i'm kind of i'm a little sad that we don't have this anymore because I think it is a, a unique kind of storytelling that, you know, has maybe had its time, but rewatching this this pilot made me be like, but there was craft to that that was pretty impressive.
3: Absolutely. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean I think that the danger of course is that you that you oversaturate all of the all of the stuff, you know, like um, you know, a show like Lost or uh Broad Church, it's like everything. Oh, a character has a secret, right? These characters have secrets. And then it's like, well, now we have another season. Well, they had more secrets that we didn't know about. Now we have to come up with new ones. <laughs> yeah. And of course, <laughs> normally you do what you were talking about, Michael, which is like, oh, here's a hatch. Here's a brand new thing. But it's like, but we have established this flashback thing. So now we have to establish that like these characters had other lives that we haven't even gotten to yet. And like, you didn't even know that this guy knew this guy in the past whatever. whatever. And, um, and that's not a criticism of anything really. It's just the danger involved with with so. designing something that's that's meant to go on forever but is also meant to reveal a bunch of secrets is like you really have to <laughs> right. to, to right. balance that yeah totally
0: also cautionary tale you have to be careful
1: lost yeah. you can learn everything from lost
0: <laughs> uh truly. why don't we go around <laughs> right. and say uh yeah what we've been watching recently alex what have you been watching recently
3: uh, so I've been listening to an audiobook, uh, which I'm really enjoying, which is The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's like a you know Hugo Award-winning uh, sci-fi series called The Broken Earth Series. And uh, I've always heard about it as a great example of world-building, just like an incredible world-building in a sci-fi fantasy universe. And that is absolutely true. I'm just really, really enjoying just how compelling and fully thought out a kind of a weird, it's like an ecological uh what if sci-fi world, uh, where just everything's been thought down to like, okay, what if this ecological situation was present, how would over like centuries of time culture evolve? And also what if this kind of magical fantasy element was present? How would culture and politics evolve around that element? And it just it's just so it's so rich and rewarding to Go into a world that that is that fully thought out, but also has really great main characters with really compelling stakes um, right from the beginning. So highly recommend it if you're looking for just a good, rich, new, interesting sci-fi fantasy story world to dive into uh, the Broken Earth series. So far, I am really,
1: really enjoying my sci-fi fantasy book club, read that book, but I didn't go that month. So I've heard good things. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I just thought that would be an insightful addition to uh, your recommendation. <laughs> yeah, <thank you> <laughs> well, yeah, the fifth season by N.K. Jefferson. Excellent. Well, Brian, what did you see? Did uh, yeah, you I did. I did not read uh, that book because I was busy seeing the unbearable weight of massive talent uh, starring Nicolas Cage as Nick Cage um, and Pedro Pascal as Javi, a mega fan of Nicolas Cage who hires him to come to his birthday party for one million dollars. <laughs> Because <laughs> Nicolas Cage just needs one million dollars at this point in his career. Um, And they form kind of a surprising bond. It, it just ends up becoming a bromance. But also, is Javi involved in some really untoward business that he shouldn't be and Nick Cage has to become sort of a secret agent to get to the bottom of it basically it turns into a 90s Nick Cage movie uh and it it delivers so hard on the premise like it's one of those just like everything everywhere all at once it's a movie where you see the trailer and then you see the movie and you're like yeah that that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted from that trailer and even even more um so and I saw it at a packed theater like a um a, a sneak peek with a nicholas cage costume contest and big foam <laughs> nick cages and wow. masks that were handed out to everyone so we could all be <laughs> nicholas cage um and so of course it was just like the most rowdy fun time i'd had in the theater in quite a while but whether or not you could see it in the theater check it out it was just a blast doesn't it also have like a hundred percent rotten tomatoes or it did for a second It did for a bit. Yeah, it has I don't like know if it insane,
3: insanely good reviews. Yeah. I was not expecting speaking so. of
1: expectations. Yeah. It's a movie where it's like you, you, there's no way you could expect this movie to be anything else. So like, right. did it deliver right. from, on your expectations? Hopefully. Yes.
0: Fascinating. Cool. Uh, cool. Okay. Uh, well to just continue my, my little, um, train that i'm on i watched john wick chapter two Uh, (laughs) nice uh the it's such a weird story world uh and but it was still like really entertaining and there's just something about keanu where you just want to watch him do stuff and i feel like this chapter two leans on that more than the first one did uh but yeah it's really fun and like there's some cool action scenes and common shows up for some reason. And he was like one of the hitmen, and like they have a cool, but like also, yeah, you're getting into this world of these assassins that take, you know, the idea of like, no, no, I'm touching home base. You can't shoot me like really seriously. <laughs> like to the point where I'm like, is this how serious we're we trying to be, but I don't know. Yeah. I just have never seen a, a movie action series like it. And it was fascinating. So
2: how many of them are you going to watch, Michael?
0: Well, I'm going to watch all the ones I can. Uh, and then the fourth one comes out next year, I believe. And there's a fifth one work that they're working on also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I Like, there's a scene where they're walking through public places shooting at each other with silencers on their guns. Yep. And yep. I'm like, i don't think I don't think that's how that works, but like, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of. I think that's kind of how I felt the whole time. And two of like, I don't think. I don't any, think that's how yeah. that works. But cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm enjoying myself. Nice. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, so Trisha, uh, I should say that this episode of Beyond Scramble is sponsored by Mubi, and you have a film to recommend that is on Mubi, if I'm not mistaken.
2: I do indeed. So I recently, I think it was recently, a little while ago. Uh, recommended Benedetta, which is uh, Paul Verhoeven's movie that came out last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stars this French actress whose name I'm going to attempt to not butcher, um, Virginie Afira. Um, and I really love her. And the reason I really love her is because she's also in a film that I saw called Sybil, which is directed by a French director named Justine Trier. And Sybil came out in 2019 Um, And it's this psychological drama, kind of. Uh, uh, Virginie um, Fira plays a therapist, and she's also, like, a moonlights as, like, a novelist, kind of. And she decides to start stealing the details of one of her patients, like, her life, and writing them into her new novel. And so she kind of gets obsessed with this patient of hers and, like, starts following her kind of trying to like get more details from her life so she can use them in her novel that she's writing and the patient that she's following around is actually an actress and so and she's you know the patient herself is very troubled and so she is relying on Sybil the main character her therapist and so she invites Sybil to go with her on set to a film shoot that they're shooting a movie in like Greece or something. And so like a lot of it actually takes place on a film set where there's like the star of the movie is this actress and then Sybil plays, you know, is her therapist who's using her to write her novel. It's all this like twisted psychological entanglement. It's really great. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And it is on movie right now. So you two also can check it out.
0: It sounds like, yeah, a really interesting premise. I'm very curious. Yeah, Yeah, that's Um,
2: great.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. So if you don't know, MUBI is a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from all around the globe. Every day, movie premieres a new film. From brand new work from emerging filmmakers to modern masterpieces from today's greatest icons, there's always something new to discover. With MUBI, each and every film is hand-selected, so it's kind of like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. If you want to try MUBI for free for 30 days, simply click the link in these show notes, or if you're watching on YouTube, click the little pop-up that happens in the top right, or simply head to Mubi.com slash beyond the screenplay. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash beyond the screenplay for a whole month of great cinema for free. Thank you to Movie for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. And thank you guys for listening to our conversation on Lost. This was really fun. And uh, I want to say I, I was afraid that going back was going to make me want to rewatch all of Lost. <laughs> I think luckily I don't feel that way but there are some <laughs> moments that i want to kind of jump around and relive like yeah that's yeah. how i feel yeah, yeah.
1: The i want to premiere. watch
2: tri- time travel episode really yeah. bad that
1: one i watched mm-hmm. with friends it's like, so good it, live and it was just like nobody you could hear a pin drop in the room yeah
0: <laughs> well and just like the season two premiere where like it oh, starts yeah. and you're like, where are we? And yeah. this music's playing. And then you hear the boom and you're like, we're inside the hatch. Like that blew <laughs> yeah, my like, yeah. you know, 18 year old brain, like all the way off.
1: That was um, the episode I watched when I wanted to just check out an episode of the show. <laughs> oh my God. What? Wow. No, no. No. <laughs> oh, I had no idea I what the hell was going
2: on. Oh, oh my God. Oh,
0: that was That was so Ooh. good. Wow. Um, Cool. But yes, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We want to say a big thank you, as always, to the patrons that make this show possible. If you want to help us make more episodes and get fun perks like voting on what our monthly patron-exclusive episode will be, head over to the Beyond Screenplay Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. Thank you to our editors, Caleb Berg, Graham Harther, and Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Coyotas. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi, and we'll see you in the next episode.
2: Bye, everybody.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.